I have just a, a real sense of uh, excitement in my spirit here this morning, a sense of joy, almost a sense of giddiness, um, and part of the reason why I've got that is because um, this week has been a week of attack, being attacked. Uh, we, I, all over the place, I know of best friends who have had a lot of tension this week, small groups that have had tension break out this week, just the enemy working overtime in a lot of relationships. I have been, and I don't make a lot of you know, hoo-ha about this, but uh, I, I have got some uh, people attacking me personally um, with related, related to Bethel College and, and other sorts of things like that. And uh, it's just always there, like a mosquito in your ear. The worship team this morning was having all sorts of uh, attacks, just uh, things going wrong, nothing working out just the way it's supposed to work out. We have got... You see, here's the thing. When you start uh, seeing the whites of the enemy's eyes, it tells you you're going in the right direction. Praise God. Think about it. I really believe that, you know, whenever a soul is touched, a soul is helped, a marriage is healed, someone gets saved, whenever God moves, the enemy gets royally, royally ticked off. And if you think about things from that perspective, you've got to believe that because of what God's been doing here, and it has been just incredible. This week, seeing God move in people's lives, we had a prayer meeting, an uh, an all-night prayer vigil from 7 o'clock Friday night till noon on Saturday. And it was was amazing. God was there. It was blessed. There was an anointing. There was a power. It was amazing. We had about, I calculated it, roughly something like 400 hours of prayer among the different people that were there going up. Do you know how much good that does for the kingdom when you've got 400 hours of saturated prayer? That's how the kingdom of God is built. So you've got to believe that the enemy is royally, royally ticked off. I don't know if there's too many other ministries in the Twin Cities that aggravate him more than this one. Praise God for that. We now find out that uh, we may have the ACLU after us. Uh, that they're, they're looking into us, and is this, yeah, who knows what they're looking into. So you say, well, what are you going to do about it? I'll tell you what we're going to do about it. We're going to dance! Hallelujah! Woo! Hallelujah! Do like the Israelites did. It's like Joe Montana, where are you going to go now? I'm going to Disney World. Where are you going to go, Woodland Hills? We're going to go into battle, and we're going to be dancing, and we're going to be singing, and we're going to be shouting, because this is the best news in the world. Come on. You know, Churchill said this. You can judge a person's characters by the enemies they make. And you can judge a church's characters by the enemies they make. Praise God. And if we're taking off the ACLU, you know we're doing something right. I mean... (laughs) Makes me wonder what took them so long. Look at it, but... Don't do anything about that. Just pray, okay? Be in prayer. We need you to be in prayer. Be surrounding us with prayer. The last thing we ever do with regard to any kind of spiritual opposition or physical opposition or political opposition or whatnot, the last thing is to get cocky. But at the same time, you've got to realize that in Jesus Christ, you've got a tremendous authority. And I got a picture when we were worshiping God here. Uh, This is, you know, usually pictures from God are pretty weird, and this is a weird one. But it's the old thing about the Grinch that stole Christmas. I just pictured all the, uh, the, the, you know, the Grinch thought he could steal Christmas. You know, you know the cartoon? 
he's going to take Christmas away from the people in Wahoo. And so he goes after the tree, he goes after the presents, he goes after the ornaments, he goes after the, the, uh, the roast beef and the cookies, and he takes away the food and all of that. Uh, but on Christmas morning, all the little people in Wahooville, whatever it is, are singing around there going, Dorme, Wahoo, and the light still, the, the, the light of the, the Christmas ascends and it shines brightly, and there's so much happiness and so much joy there. Because see, what the Grinch didn't rise is that what Christmas is all about, you see. You just can't steal it. You can't take it. You can't touch it. You can't squelch it. Because heaven is in their heart. We sang about that this morning. And that's the way it is with the church of God. You know, even if you could, even if you could squish woodland hills, let's say you could do that, it wouldn't affect the kingdom of God because this kingdom is not about woodland hills, church, and it's not about Greg Boyd, and it's not about a worship team, and it's not about Norm. It's not about anything you can touch. It's not about anything you can taste. It's not about anything you can push down. You can squelch this part of it, and it's going to pop up over there. And you squelch this, and it's going to pop up over there. Because the kingdom of God is going forth as believers are growing it in their heart. And as they're being equipped by God and realizing who they are in Christ and going forward. And there's no way, no how, that anybody, not the ACLU, not any kind of political party, not any kind of principality and power, can ever begin to touch this thing because it's about Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. What's really cool to me is that this morning we're preaching on the rest of God. As the children of Israel, we're going to go in the land of Canaan. Hebrews chapter 4. Hey, so be praying. Don't do anything. I just sit on that until we'll tell you if there's anything politically you can do about that. Right now, just be cool, rest. Let's see what happens. Amen. Someone asked if we're putting all of our eggs in, in, in Phelan Center. Are we putting all of our eggs in one basket? And the answer to that, be praying about that too. Cool doors are opening. The answer is that we're not, though. Uh, God's using this to crystallize the vision. That's an incredible vision about how we are to be a a center, a people that is a network of ministries throughout the Twin Cities. The line where Woodland Hills ends and other ministries begin should be an invisible line. In fact, it shouldn't be. We're in continuity with a team. And, and so the, God's crystallizing a vision that is powerful, but it's not necessarily tied to that. If God continues to open up the doors, we're going to continue to walk through them. But we haven't got the green light on that. We've got the green light on the vision. But whether it's going to be there or wherever, we're looking at Builder Square, praying that God will give us direction. But also praying that if that's where we're supposed to be, God will make it happen. But there's plenty of giants to be hammered down before that's going to take place. Hebrews chapter 4. All right, I've got to get around to preaching here. Therefore, I'll explain the verses we're going through, and then I'm going to apply it to our life. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest is still open, let us take care that none of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Stop. He's talking about the Israelites going to the land of Canaan, right? This is what the warning was about. This is what the warning was about in, in Hebrews chapter 3. Uh, they were supposed to enter the land of Canaan. God gave them the land of Canaan, but most of them freaked out because there's very, very tall people, maybe eight or nine feet tall in the land of Canaan. They're powerful and they're big. and So some people lost faith and they got scared and they didn't enter into the land of Canaan. That's God's rest that he's talking about. Interesting that from God's perspective, going to the land of Canaan and fighting giants is a matter of rest. Think about it. They didn't enter in my rest. It's restful when you slay giants. Verse 2. For indeed the good news came to us just as to them. The good news that the land of Canaan is yours. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Caleb and Joshua had faith. They listened to God. 
they had faith. They said we're supposed to go into the land of Canaan. Everybody else freaked out and didn't listen. They didn't unite themselves with the people of faith, and therefore they wasted their lives in the desert for 40 years. For we who have believed entered that rest. We enter that rest. Just as God has said, as in my anger I swore, they shall not enter my rest. Though his works were finished at the foundation of the world, for in one place it says about the seventh day as follows, and God rested on the seventh, uh, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. Okay, here's the point here. The author is saying God warned them that uh, they are to enter into the rest. They have to have faith to enter into the rest. It didn't benefit them. So, the author is saying, it won't necessarily benefit you unless you believe. There is a rest available to them, and there's a rest available to us. It's, he uses the analogy of God resting on the seventh day. Since the foundation of the world, God has been restful. Okay, the rest is open. That's what he's saying. There's a provision of rest, a provision of peace, a land of promise, a land of milk and honey. But you've got to have faith to enter it. In other words, it wasn't God's fault, and it wasn't a lack of provision that prevented the children of Israel from getting blessed. It was their lack of faith. So also with us. The provision is there. The rest is there. It's been there from the foundation of the world. The question is, will we believe and enter into it? And they, again, in this place it says, they shall not enter my rest, verse 5. Verse 6, since therefore it remains open for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, therefore, again, he sets a certain day, that is today, saying through David much later, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Okay, so he's saying... The, David says that there still remains a day of rest. That proves to the author of Hebrews that the rest that they're talking about isn't only the land of Canaan that most of the Israelites blew, but rather it's a rest that applies to us today because David was writing a thousand years after Abraham, or right around there, and so the rest continues to this day. And therefore the warning continues to this day. Don't harden your hearts. Believe. What's really interesting also to me is that this is the third time in the space of two chapters that the author has quoted this verse and made this very same point, which tells me that repetition is not necessarily a bad thing. The Word of God's got a lot of repetition. The ancient Jews thought that repetition was the key to learning, therefore I never want to hear any gripes when I repeat sermons, okay? We think you always got to have a new thing to say. Now the Bible says, hey, go at it again. That's why two weeks ago I preached the same sermon two weeks in a row. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not speak later of another day. So then, a Sabbath rest still remains for the people of God. For those who enter God's rest also cease from their labors as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one may fail through such disobedience as theirs. Here's what's interesting about this passage, then we're going to pray and then we're going to preach it. The rest that he's talking about is, on the one hand, future. It's the land of Canaan, and for believers, that's heaven. At the same time, he says, those who believe have already entered that rest. There is a Sabbath rest for believers. It's what Pegtop sang about, the great reverse. When the aborted child shall approach the mother. Oh, that, that, that passage has killed me when, when he started singing that. And, and say, I forgive you, and heal her wounds. The great reverse. That Sabbath is still coming. At the same time, the author says we have entered into the rest. Heaven is now in our heart. And maybe we don't experience it perfectly in an unbroken way, but what is available to the believer, and this is the main point I want to make, is the profound heaven-like rest here and now, where you cease from your labors, 
Not from doing things, but from laboring to try to get rest. Laboring to try to bring about the kingdom of God. Thinking that you've got to fight the giants on your own power. There's a rest that is available to the believer. When you realize that the land is given to you by God and your job is only to rest in the promises. To sit in the promises. To relax in the promises. And to have faith in the promises of God. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, I'm just overwhelmed by you and your power and your might. And I just pray, God, that you'll be present here moving. You are present here moving. What am I talking about? Lord, I just would ask right now in a short span of time, you give me succinctness of expression and create the reality here, create the reality here that we're talking about. Because information is useless unless it's accompanied by transformation. So God, Holy Spirit, be present here. Do your work. Do your kingdom work. Bear your kingdom fruit. Make the words come alive. Give them fire. Give them fire to create in us the rest that we're talking about. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. This last week, let me just kind of share with you an experience that I had this week. The last several days has been for me just an amazing several days. And uh, I, 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 I sometimes think that when God does something with me, it's to, it's to share it with you because we're all humans and we all go through the same kind of stuff and you can benefit from it. But on this last week or on the middle of the week, I was having a horrendous week. All the stuff that I just told you about, that was on my shoulders. A lot of other stuff was on my shoulders as well. I was feeling a lot of stuff on my shoulders. And not only that doesn't bother me, but right now it was starting to bother me. This is Wednesday. I had one of those days where, where I didn't, you know, you just can't come up for air. One of those days where you don't have any time to yourself. One of those days that are just so packed, you think about going to the bathroom at 9 o'clock in the morning and you don't get around to it till about 4. And so there's no time. Who's got time to go to the bathroom? It's just... You, you, you're just doing stuff. You know what it is. You know your life's too busy when you start thinking of it as a bathroom as your break time. You know, that's why. It's true. And even then, the kids don't want to give it. You have this. Some of you have this. Even then, you're not alone because the kids are knocking on the door, you know, and it's like, leave me alone. This is my break time. They wonder what takes you so long. You know, never mind. This is my salad. This is my sanctuary, all right? Leave me alone. But it gets so busy, and there was so much busyness. And this is kind of life in general. Listen, you can relate to this. It amazes me. I never dreamed that having kids would be so, so, so occupying of your time. Especially when they're going to be teenagers. You've got to go here, go there, drive here, drive that. They're allergic to staying in one place for more than eight seconds at a time. So you're constantly running around. And you remember when you used to be able to spend time together with your spouse. I mean, sometimes, it's, you know, you do, but some, some days it just feels like you don't have any time together. And, and uh, you forget how it was to even made kids. I mean, that's how bad it can get. It's like, ah, what? And you feel like you have no life. In fact, Wednesday night I said that to myself. I was driving up. I thought, okay, I'm going to get a half hour. I can watch the Channel 5 news. Good, 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 good. Isn't it sad when that's like the good news is just the news? <laughs> and, and, and so you're, you're, I'm sitting down, and then, bam, i got to go pick up somebody. Right in the best part of the news. Any part of the news is the best part if you have time alone. It's like, I was saying to myself, I don't have a life. I sit out the window. I don't have a life. From morning till night, my life is spent doing things. 
Now, that's just how I was feeling that day, okay? I was, it was one of those moods, irritable, and the pressure and all the stuff and the problems, and it was just sort of there. And I was so tired. It had been a week for whatever reasons. I had a town meeting with Barry and some other people on Wednesday night, and that was weighing heavy on me, and my brain was sort of racing, and I was so tired and so fatigued, and I had a lot of lessons I had to prepare that I didn't feel like they were really done, and I had a sermon to preach on Friday night, and that day, I wasn't sure where that was going, and I had this sermon to preach on Sunday morning, and, and I wasn't planning on preaching on this at all. I was going in a different direction, but it wasn't feeling right. It just wasn't, some weeks are like that. It's like, it's just, this isn't jiving. It's not cooking. Something's wrong here. So that was there. All the stuff. Ooh. More stuff coming up. So I'm just exhausted. I'm just exhausted. You got bags under your eyes, and at 11 o'clock, you finally go and you pass out in the bed. And eight minutes later, you wake up. I woke up eight minutes later. I think I woke myself up snoring when I... When I, when I get really, really tired, I go into this kind of stage. My poor wife has to put up with it. And I think I woke myself up. I do that once in a while. And then I try to go back to sleep. But all of a sudden, all the, I had just enough energy to start thinking about this stuff again. And so 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, rain is racing. And I'm thinking, oh, no, I'm not going to get any sleep tonight. You know how that is? I've got to go to sleep. I've got to go to sleep. You try to pray. Oh, God, help me to go to sleep. Sometimes you stay awake because there's anointing on you. Praise God. That's great. Sometimes you stay awake because there's a burden in your heart as you're laboring for the missionaries in Africa. That's great. Sometimes you just stay awake, and that's not great. You just... Anxiety. And I was just getting so irritated. It's like, ah, you try to pray, and nothing's happening. Nothing there. You know, it's just restless. You try to get up and do some work, but you're too tired to do work. At 3.30, somehow or other, God got a little bit of my attention. I, I, I finally gave up. I finally surrendered. I finally said, okay, fine. I can go without sleep for a week. Fine. If I pass out in the middle of a class, fine. I, 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 nothing I can do about it. I give up. I surrender. I'm just going to go listen to some music. Hallelujah. That's exactly how I felt. Thank you for that confirming word. I have no life. It's not fair. And here's what happened. And I, you know what? I've had this happen to me once before. I've learned this lesson before. But I don't know how you are, but I know that I forget stuff. Especially when the pressure is up and the, and the busyness is there. And you, when it comes to things of the Spirit, I have, I think, a significant learning disability. Because I can know it, I can remember, I can preach it. And then I forget it. <laughs> so here I am, I'm all in the flesh, getting all sorts of nervousness. And then I go and I put on this music, this flute music, this really nice flute music. I thought, as long as I'm going to be awake, I might as well listen to some nice music. Fine, I'm not going to fight anymore. I surrender. And I start listening to this music. And here's what happened. This peace came upon me. This rest came upon me. The Lord came down, and this is how I pictured it. The Lord came down, as it were, and got me off of the couch. So I left my bedroom because I was keeping my wife awake. And, and he sort of like put me in his arms. And as I surrendered, it was as, as if the Lord was saying, hey, shutting up. I've been, I've been trying to tune into this station for quite a while here. And, and, and just, gave, he began to pick me up and gave me his rest. Gave me his peace. Up to this point, I was going to preach the warning of this passage. I hadn't really even noticed the rest. I, I, that wasn't part of my, I, that wasn't catching my attention. And now things totally switched. I was experiencing the rest of God. Here's the ingredients of it, and here's what is available for, for, uh, for us. First of all, God gave me his perspective on the situation. As God lifted me up, as it were, into the heavenlies, you begin to see issues and problems from God's perspective, not your own. 
You know how it is when you're in an airplane and you're traveling high in the sky and you look down and you see all the houses and all the hustle and the bustles and there's probably a billion people down there that are worried about this, that, or the other thing. But when you're high up in the plane, it just doesn't seem to be very big. It seems like ants down there. Well, how much smaller are our problems when we realize in Ephesians 1 that we are seated with Christ in the heavenlies? Amen? We are seated with Christ in heavenly places. And as the Lord picked me up, as it were, and surrounded me by his presence... There was not a problem that I had that was solved. Nothing was taken off. The, the, the same stuff was there. The same worries and concerns were there. But I had a different perspective of them because now I was beginning to look at God and what God could do instead of me and what I can't do. Major difference here. You begin to see things as God sees them. You see them from God's perspectives. The problem with the Israelites, as they went and spied out the land of Canaan, is that 10 of the 12 leaders, when they looked at those giants, they saw them from their perspective. And their perspective was down here, and the giants were up there. And that's a long way up. And you're 5 feet tall, and they're 9 feet tall. But if they just could have accepted the promise of God and moved out in faith, it would have been like climbing up on a huge, huge mountain and looking down at these giants, and these giants look like little dweeby turrets from that perspective. God is a big God, amen? God is a powerful God. God was sort of saying, Greg, you know what? I dwell in the heavens. I've, I've been around for quite a while. Do you ever realize that, Greg? Um, I'm kind of smart. I've, I've pulled off a lot of tricks in my day. Uh, I'm very, very old. Uh, Greg, have you ever noticed that? Hmm? Why don't you remember that? Look towards that. You begin to look towards the greatness of God, the bigness of God, the magnificence of God. You begin to realize this. This is what happens. And this is the key to the rest of God, the peace of God. It's the rest that characterizes God. The rest that characterizes God, he gives it to us. You begin to see how small your problems are, how small those giants are, how small your life is. Do you realize how small your life is? And this isn't about, oh, my life is meaningless and insignificant. No, your life is meaningful and very, very significant. But in the total scheme of things, in terms of the things that you think you've got to do, what's significant about your life is not what you do. What's significant about your life is who you are in Christ Jesus, and who you are is a, is a being, a little being, but a being who is loved with an everlasting, passionate, dying love by Jesus Christ. That's what makes your life significant. And everything you might do and think you've got to do and pull off and achieve and whatnot, that's icing on the cake. And it's small. It's very, very small. You are small from God's eternal perspective. The problems are small from God's eternal perspective. This church is so small from God's eternal perspective. And the problems of this church are so small from God's eternal perspective. And the whole state, the city of St. Paul and the state of Minnesota is so small. And American history is but a flicker of the flame. And all of world history is but a blink in the eye from the perspective of the eternal God. And the eternal God wants to give us that perspective. And from that perspective comes peace, an eternal peace. God cares a lot. He's invested a lot. He loves a lot. He's a God of passion. But you know what? He's not a God who ever at once has bitten his nails. He's a God who's in control. He's a God who's got it together. He's concerned. He's passionate. But you know what? In the center of his being is just a peace, a contentment, a quietude, a joy. And now what we've got to hear, believer in Christ, is this. He wants to give us a piece of that peace. Heaven is that rest, but he wants to give it to us now. The rest, the peace of God that passes all understanding, the Bible says. It is ours if we but believe God to enter that rest. What gets you in there is surrendering and having faith. 
You surrender and have faith. As long as I am sitting here trying on my own power, trying on my own ability, trying by my own very, very, very limited ingenuity to work out my stuff, and that's all that I do, God doesn't have a place to get a word in edgewise to bring about his peace. But when you surrender it, when you learn how to walk with a yieldness to the Holy Spirit and saying, God, this is your life, this is your ministry, this is your family before it's my family. These are your kids before they're my kids. These are your finances before they're my finances. This is your job before it is my job. I surrender it to you. I will do whatever you tell me to do. But in the end, I surrender it to you. There's a peace. And out of that peace comes a strength. You operate life out of a center of inner quietness, a stillness. Here's another thing that happens. First of all, you get the perspective of God. Then you get the peace of God. And then you begin to hear from God. As I was having this experience, things became clear to me. It just became clear to me. Like, for example, Sunday morning. What am I supposed to preach? It became clear to me. What else was I supposed to preach Friday night? It became very clear to me. Not in a thought-out way, but there was a sense of, ah, okay, a sense of rightness. I didn't know the details of it, but, but there was a sense of, okay, okay. In fact, what I was supposed to share this morning was basically the experience that I was having. I, all of a sudden, I saw that verse. I was thinking of that verse, and it's like, that's what the verse is about, the rest of God. And now I'm experiencing that. This is cool. You begin to hear from God. That day, the next day, I woke up, and as I was going throughout the day, there was just a sensitivity to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Where I, a lot of, I can't go into it right now, don't have the time, but a lot of kingdom coincidences began to happen. I got up to leave a class, for example, and I ran into a student that was supposed to be in that class, and that student wasn't in that class because she was running away from that class. I had a great opportunity to minister. Why did I leave that class? In the middle of a class, while you walk out, Why? Well, there was something there that I had to say, well, I want to go get a Coke. I was kind of thirsty, but that's weird that you'd leave in the middle of a class. But see, the kingdom coincidences start to happen when the people of God, the army of God, begin to listen to God. But to listen to God, you've got to have a little bit of quietness in the inner self. You've got to have truth in the inner self. Let me, t- let, let, let me say what I mean. It's very hard for God to be able, begin to say, I want you to do this if you're so busy telling yourself you can't do that. It's hard for God to say, I am able, if you're so busy telling yourself, I am not able. It's very hard for God to say, go into the land of Canaan, if you're busy talking yourself out of going in the land of Canaan. It's very busy for God to give you insights. If, you're too, if your mind is full of the cares of this world to the point where the station is jammed, the frequency is jammed, God has not stopped, not stopped, not stopped talking to his people. The preachers have trouble communicating that sometimes. God wants to talk to us. Look, that's what a relationship is all about. But the question is this, are we listening? We are, the Bible says, to be like soldiers. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4. To be like soldiers that are stationed in a foreign land and our ear is turned towards our captain. We've got our walkie-talkies on, as it were. And we're, we're to be at attention, saying, Lord, you command and we will follow. We are in enemy-occupied territory, the Bible says. And the Lord wants to give us commands to say, do this, go here, do this, etc. To be walking in the Spirit when we're at our job, when we're in construction, when we're at our house, when we're with our neighbors, when we're preaching or whatnot. To be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and moving in spontaneity with the Holy Spirit. But what has happened in the church so much in America today, and this is true of us, and this is true of me on Wednesday night, is that you get so... You get way overoccupied in civilian affairs. You forget what you're called to do. You look around and you let the cares of the world, the things, the finances, the problems, the kids, the marriage, or whatever, totally occupy your mind, and you forget that your walkie-talkie is supposed to be on. 
And the roar, God's talking through the walkie-talkie, but the roar of your own conversation and the roar of your own striving, the roar of your own labors, the roar of the lies in your own mind, keep you from hearing that. But when the peace of God that comes from having the perspective of God that you attain by faith becomes yours, there's a center of quietness and a spontaneity of the Holy Spirit, and now God can begin to say, ah, thank you. I can tune into this station because it's not full of static any longer. With, with the rest of God comes the peace of God. And finally, with the rest of God comes the power of God. Lord, let this one flow. When we are restful in God and, and quit trying to strive to do it on our own, we now, where, where, where we end, God can begin. Where we cease to be able, God starts to show that he is able. Amen? And when we rest in the promises of God, we give God the opportunity to do what we could never do. I woke up on, see, this is the problem with the Israelites. They were looking at the giants in terms of what they weren't able to do, and therefore they lost the opportunity for God to show off what he could do. That, that came to another generation. When I woke up on Saturday morning, I mean on, on, on Thursday morning, I was initially very, very tired. But I just began to rest in what I had experienced. I got two hours sleep, fell asleep around 4.30 or so. Woke up at 6.30, very, very tired. But I began to say, you know what? I'm called to this day. This is not about me. This is about God. There's things that i got to do for the kingdom here. I'm not able to do it. I surrendered that three hours ago. But with God, all things are possible. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The power of the Holy Spirit flows through me here and now. I walk in the Spirit. The Spirit of God does what He wants to do through me. And you begin to turn your mind and your attention towards that truth. And I begin to wake up. In fact, I begin to be very awake. And throughout this day, there was an energy on me that was not my own. And ministry was occurring through me that I could never on my own have accomplished. Now, I'm not saying that if you're a Christian, you only need two hours sleep a night. I'm not saying that, though. But I am saying this. If it's God's will that you get by on two hours sleep, he's perfectly able to do it. What has to happen, though, is the question is this. Do we have the faith to see him begin to pull off what he wants to do in our life? Do we have the faith to see him accomplish through us what we could never do on our own? When we rest in God and the promises of God, then we see the power of God begin to be actualized in our life. Individually, a lot of us here this morning, I know, have anxiety, a nervousness, a stress that is there. Don't let the devil beat you up about that. That's part of the human thing. I'm going to experience it again too. Right now I'm just on a good roll, okay? Okay, let's be human about this. At the same time, know this. Grow towards this. Receive this. There is a peace. There is a peace called the river of God. The Bible says that whoever believes on Jesus Christ, Jesus said this, out of their belly shall flow rivers of living water, and they shall never thirst again. There is a river of life in you, praise God, a river of life, an infinite reservoir of peace, an infinite reservoir of love. If you're a believer here this morning and you yield to this, you surrender this, you have faith in this, there's a reservoir of peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and, and miracle-working power that is within you. The question is, will you yield to it? So often we are like rich, rich, filthy, rich people who live and think like paupers. Because we just don't believe that the checkbook, really, you can really write checks against that. But the Lord is saying, come on, write the checks. Come on, yield to it. Come on, let me flow through you. Let me live through you. Surrender your life to me. Surrender the Lordship over to me and see what I can do. And as a church, the whole thing 
This is what all comes to you guys. We can try to strategize about what we can do and what we can't do. And if we do that, I'll tell you this. We're going to be in the flesh, not in the spirit. And we can begin to think about our problems in terms of our resources. And we get nervous and we can get anxious and we can get all bent out of shape. And then we can try to fight it in the flesh. I think a lot of the things that Christians do in the public sector are done in the flesh. They're trying to do it on their own. They don't yield to the spiritual authority that we have. They try to carry out a, 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 a physical, political authority. We do it in the flesh, and we just will get stagnant, we'll get worried, we'll get concerned, we'll get burned out. But God is calling us as a people, like he's calling us individually, to rest. Just to rest. And rest especially when you see the giants. In fact, in the book of Hebrews, seeing the giants and fighting of the giants is part of the rest. God is saying, yeah, you got giants there? Let's relax and cut their heads off. <laughs> you know, let's just... Let's just have a nice casual, because you see, God is up to it. We are not. And we need to confess that we are not, but God is able. Do you know how small, how small the ACLU is to God? Think about it. Do you know how small any political opposition is to God? Do you know how small your problems are to God? We need to see it from that perspective, amen? And yield to it from that perspective.